It's time now for a special edition of Encounter with your host, Evan Fowler. Today is a very special day. It is the official dedication day for the Museum of the Bible in Washington, D.C. This is a 430,000 square foot facility that is specifically built to highlight the Bible. And in the next half hour, I'm going to be talking with several people who are involved in the Museum of the Bible, including the president and the executive director and one of the biblical historians, as well as one of the individuals who's responsible for some of the exhibits there. So we're going to get going, and we're going to take you into the Museum of the Bible and get you excited about someplace that you and your family are going to want to go. We're going to begin our virtual tour of the Museum of the Bible with Dr. Tony Zeiss, Executive Director of the Museum of the Bible. And and Tony, I know you've got a lot of things going on. Today is the dedication. Tomorrow is the public opening of the Museum of the Bible. Thanks for taking a few minutes out of your pretty crazy schedule, I would imagine, to talk with our listeners. Well, it's my pleasure, and we are honored that your radio and all your radio stations are excited about this museum. Uh, You know, I can tell you, Uh, There's a lot of excitement around here right now, and tomorrow there's going to be about uh, maybe upwards of 10,000 excited people as they come in and out of the museum. Wow, that's amazing. Well, first of all, tell us about the mission of the Museum of the Bible. It's really pretty simple. We intend to invite all people uh, to engage with the Bible, its history, its narrative, and its impact, those three themes. Think about the impact of this amazing book uh, no other book has had the impact on civilization, particularly Western civilization, as this book. And so that's why we decided to put it, uh, build a museum, and to try and get people of all faiths and, and of no faith uh, engaged with this Bible. And we'll present it accurately and as factually as possible. Uh, as a matter of fact, we have over 100 scholars from around the world in all different kinds of faiths who look at every exhibit and the content, every language, every every video, uh, to make sure it's as accurate and authentic as possible. So we're really excited about this, and uh, we are non-sectarian. Uh, we don't render an opinion. We just let people make up their own mind, and we think that the Bible will speak for itself. And we hope, of course, particularly for those people who uh, do not have faith, who come and visit, that they will get to know the author of the Bible. Oh, well, that certainly uh, a byproduct that that uh, I think uh, everybody's excited about. But you know, the the Bible it, it is a it's an amazing book, and it it will help people of all walks of life navigate life better in our estimation. But we don't render any of our own opinions on it or any interpretation of it. We just present the facts as best we can uh, find them and distill them from antiquities and from history. And then we present it in a very entertaining way, because the more people get engaged uh, with an exhibit, the more they're going to learn. Well, tell us a little bit about what a brand new visitor would see when they walk through those huge front doors, and tell us about those doors. But give us a, a word picture, as best you can, of what this facility looks like. Thank you very much. Well, the first thing they'll see the, on the front, on either side of the front doors, uh, are two huge uh, bronze plaques. They're like uh, 15 feet wide and 40 feet high. And think of uh, print, a Gutenberg printing press, and they had movable type. And so it looks like that. And it is Genesis 1 uh, on on these two. And of course, it's Latin because the Gutenberg Bible was, was the first one was in Latin. And, of course, it's backwards because it's part of the printing process. Once they get in, 
They'll go through security. Uh, they'll see another 34-foot-high uh, piece of glass. It's yellow in color, and it depicts uh, the oldest uh, Greek text of Psalms 19, written in 16 different languages. And then they'll see the ceiling, and the ceiling is 140 feet long by 15 feet wide. It's full of thousands of LED lights, and moving pictures of the Bible and biblical scenes will uh, uh, emanate from that ceiling, and it reflects on the walls all over. It just it engulfs sort of people. It showers them with, with these uh, uh, these biblical scenes. It's really breathtaking. We don't think it's ever been done before quite like this. And then they'll see Jerusalem stone all around them. It's absolutely beautiful. It looks a lot like marble, but it came from Jerusalem. It's throughout the uh, the museum. And then they'll see on the right-hand side the Vatican Library because museums around the world want to participate in this museum. This is the first world-class museum to the Bible that we believe has ever been built. And so they want to be a part of it. And and then you go around the corner and you'll see Courageous Pages. That's for children. So there's a children's gallery there. And it's really amazing. I've seen the children in there. They're having a blast. Uh, and then we've got eight floors in this building. And... Uh, uh, we cover then through those eight floors basically the history of the Bible, the impact of the Bible, and the narrative of the Bible. We have a Nazareth village with uh, historical interpreters in period costume, and they'll tell you about what life was like in the first century. We have a rabbi from, uh, uh, he's a scribe from Jerusalem, and he's going to be writing a Torah for the first full year and tell people about what scribes did and why they were so important. We've got a guy that's going to man the Gutenberg Press, and he'll be Gutenberg, and he'll hand out sheets. But then we've got the antiquities, the Israeli Antiquity Authority example. They've come over. They've lent us uh, 800 or more antiquities. It's the first time it's ever been done. And so we're very excited about that uh, exhibit. I could go on and on, but you're getting a feel for it. And I want you to know most of it is interactive because people learn best uh, by being interactive. And so... We have $42 million in technology alone in this museum. And last but not least, we have a world stage theater. As a matter of fact, uh, the Broadway musical Amazing Grace is uh, playing for a limited time from from uh, now through January 7th. If you need tickets, you'll have to go online, go to Museum of the Bible online, and you can find your tickets. And as a matter of fact, I have some advice. Anyone wants to come to this must-see museum, Remember, number one, you can't see it all in one time because the average person will take nine eight-hour days to see everything. So you'll have to come back on a pilgrimage every year or every six months, and then we rotate ex uh, exhibits, of course, so there's always something new here. But I would suggest highly that everybody go online and get your time tickets because uh, admission is free, but you need to get a time ticket. We'll have waves of of people coming in every 15 minutes, and if you don't have a time ticket, you might have a diff difficult time getting in. Dr. Tony Zeiss is my guest. He's the executive director of Museum of the Bible, and you mentioned it would take nine, eight-hour days to get through the museum. It has eight floors. That is amazing. How does it compare with some of the other incredible museums in Washington, D.C.? And I'm thinking, of course, specifically of some of the Smithsonian museums. Well, uh, by by size, we are the third largest in the uh, in the city, uh, but we are the largest nonprofit that takes no money from uh, from the public. So no public money, no no government money, 
and we want to keep it that way. And we only do that because we have a lot of members who keep up with our newsletter and what's going on. And uh, there are 27 different levels of membership, so anyone can become a member. And then we have larger donors and sponsors of exhibits. Some of those exhibits cost us a million dollars to put together. So, I mean, it truly is a nationwide or worldwide effort. And people want to see this museum be successful, and we're very, very grateful for it. All right. So, again, the public opening is tomorrow, but, of course, uh, most of our listeners aren't going to jump in the car and head that way tomorrow, but there are plenty of opportunities over the next months and years to do that. What is the web address to reserve those tickets uh, for those who want to plan a trip to Washington? It is museumofthebible.org. Just go there, get your tickets. You can become a member. Anything you want to know about the museum is there. Uh, is there? You know, I think there's also a little four- or five-minute fly-through-the-museum rendering or video. Uh, that would be great to see. Very good. Museumofthebible.org. Thank you, Dr. Tony Zeiss, the executive director of the Museum of the Bible. Thank you, Eben. Next is Dave Stotts. Dave is the host of Drive Through the History of the Bible. And Dave, uh, thanks for joining us today, uh, this day of dedication of the Museum of the Bible, and again, tomorrow being the official opening to the public. Uh, uh, Dave, you've been the host of a program called Drive Through History since about 2003. For those of our listeners who are not familiar with it, tell us about it, and then how did you end up doing something at the Museum of the Bible? Thanks, Evan. It's great to be with you today. Um, Drive Through History is a travel show, but a historical kind of um, road trip that takes viewers on location and brings them face-to-face with the great people, places, and events of world history. And we have focused quite often on sort of the origins of the Christian Church and uh, the apostles and the spread of Christianity, but we didn't want to just focus on that. We've, we've spent a lot of time talking about uh, the historical context for the spread of the Church and of the history of the Bible. So for the last 14 years or so, we have been taking viewers on these on-location historical road trips that talk about what we believe to be God's fingerprints throughout world history. And so when we got contacted by the good folks of the Museum of the Bible, uh, they, there seemed to be a, a real fit with what we do and what they needed for the history of the Bible. And so there is a great story to tell. You know, there's a lot of history in the Bible, but there's also the history of the Bible. It right. doesn't just float out of heaven bound in leather with, with gold around the pages, right? It's got its own story to tell. And so our unique blend of fast-paced, on-location adventure show uh, with historical content and a little bit of humor mixed in uh, is something that really kind of ignites the imaginations of, of people, and hopefully the, the museum visitors will get uh, have a lot of fun as we take them on this journey through how we got the Bible, how it got from the original manuscripts all the way to uh, apps on our smartphones. When you walk through the front doors of the Museum of the Bible, and let's say you, you, you ask one of the, the folks that work there, I, I want to see the drive through the history of the Bible thing with Dave Stotts, uh, where are they going to point you, and what is the, what's that look like? Yeah, thanks. Uh, we are on the history of the Bible floor, so there's uh, stories of the Bible, impact of the Bible, and then history of the Bible. And our content uh, and the, sh- yeah, the videos that we produce for the museum are all on the history of the Bible floor. And you get off the elevator, and there's a big sort of what they call a destination theater there. And you'll see the Jeep that we use in the videos, and you'll get in a queuing area, and you'll go in, and you'll sit down just like a, like a movie theater. And you will go through this romp through the history of the Bible. It's about a 15-minute or so 
of very fast-paced, entertaining, sort of cinema-quality documentary about, about the Bible, where it came from, and, and really hitting the highlights. And then when you leave that, you go out into the history of the Bible floor, and there is an enormous amount of exhibits and immersive experiences throughout this floor that really give the viewer, uh, the, the visitor, uh, an appreciation for the Word of God. And we have these what we call mini-theaters that are sprinkled throughout that floor to kind of carry the, the museum visitor from stage to stage as, as we track the history of the Bible. Okay, Dave, so you've been involved in this program, Drive Through History, since 2003, and you specifically have produced content for the Museum of the Bible. What are a couple of the things that really stood out to you as you put that together, put together the material for the museum about the history of the Bible that, that just really fascinated you, that are, that are included there as part of your presentation? Right. So the story starts, not surprisingly, in the Holy Land, right? So we talk a lot about where the original manuscripts came from, the historical context of the first initial writings that became the Bible. And we talk a lot about the Dead Sea Scrolls. We visit the caves that uh, the Dead Sea Scrolls were discovered. Um, we move from there to uh, talk about Jerome and the Latin Vulgate, and that, of course, takes us to Bethlehem, where... There's this grotto underground where Jerome translated, uh, and we got the Vulgate. We, uh, the next stage takes us to Rome. Uh, we go off also to, um, to Germany, where uh, when we jump to the, uh, after the sort of the medieval time, we, we, we talk about the Gutenberg Revolution and, of course, Martin Luther's kind of historical uh, moment there where um, the Bible is translated into the vernacular. And so we spent a lot of time in Germany, go to uh, the Eisenach Castle, where Luther translated uh, the New Testament, and then we end up in, in uh, England to talk about how the Bible sort of went global with sort of the history of creating King James Version. And finally, the, the trek ends uh, right there in Washington, D.C., at the museum itself, and we take this viewer on this odyssey, tracking the, the highlights, of these linchpin moments, and how we got the Bible, and it's to me, it's, it's one of the best ways to learn about the Bible from a popular level, uh, to take something that might otherwise be remote, actually, and then um, it makes it more present, makes it more of an adventure story, and gives viewers, I think, an appreciation for how the world was changed by this amazing book. Dave Stotts, host of Drive Through the History of the Bible, which is one of the portions of the Museum of the Bible. Thanks for taking a few minutes to give us a little bit of an insight into what you and your folks have put together. Thanks, Evan. It's great to be a part of this. If you've just joined us, this is Evan Fowler. This is a special edition of Encounter, and it's Friday. This is the day, the dedication of the Museum of the Bible in Washington, D.C. We've been talking with a couple of the key folks involved with the museum. And on the line, I have the president of the Museum of the Bible, Kerry Summers. Kerry, thanks for joining us for a couple of minutes. My pleasure. Tomorrow, of course, is the day that it opens up to the public. What should visitors expect when they come to the Museum of the Bible? Well, it, uh, based on some preliminary uh, uh, you know, results, we're, it's going to be a very busy day. I think what uh, people will be surprised, though, when they come in is the magnitude of the museum itself. It's hard to describe to people. We've done a fairly good job on creating uh, fly-through videos and renderings, but when you come in, it really is something that is so different than what people have preconceived. Uh, also, I think the breadth of the items on display and how uh, how much interactive there is in the museum, 
the variety of the uh, exhibits, which are quite broad in the presentation and content, and then the number of uh, featured, I would call them theaters or film, which are very, very creative. That's uh, very unusual for most museums to have the breadth that we have. Uh, this is not a museum that you can come to and, you know, plan an afternoon and get through it. <laughs> I understand it's, right. it takes quite a bit of time. Tell us about that. It does. Uh, if you were to listen to all the content that we have available on our handheld devices and um, the various levels of learning, including children's, and you would then sit down and watch uh, every of uh, the 54 video vignettes or theaters, you were to start and watch those through the full form, although they're only three to four minutes each. Uh, it'll take you about 72 hours to do all that. My goodness. And uh, yes, and most people are early stages of a museum like this, people really just want to walk through it. If they have a couple hours, they'll they want to probably just walk through quickly, see what it's all about. And then on the next visit, they with these handheld devices, they probably will key in how much time they have and what topics they want to go see, and that device will then lead them through the museum to those topics so they can, uh, and we know where they're at, and we can pace people. But I would think uh, this coming week, or probably all the way up through the uh, early next year, that it's going to be more just uh, general come in and see. And most people will then realize that uh, it's going to take days and days to go through this museum. Well, it's good to know that in, in advance because uh, then, you know, some families and some folks can plan to be in Washington for, you know, at least two or three days and go back and take in as much as they can. So it's good to, to know that before you get started. Right. But it also sounds right. like something where you can come back, you know, year after year and, and always see something new. Yeah, it's easy with us because it's a, it's a volunteer donation to get in the museum. And we hope people will, will honor that because that's the only way we can stay open. But there's also uh, memberships available. They get certain benefits. Uh, they start at like $60 a year for memberships, and they get certain benefits with that. And we're finding a lot of people. They're, they're doing that uh, to help us, number one, but they also like some of the benefits. And then they cruise right in that way. So uh, for those people who want to come year after year or maybe twice a year, as a lot of people do in Washington, uh, it's a great way to go. And uh, we've tried to make it as easy as possible, though, for people to come in. Uh, if they just want to come in free, then we're fine with that also. All right. Now, this might be kind of an unfair question, Carrie. Uh, Carrie Summers, president of Museum of the Bible. You, of course, know this facility well in all of the floors, and you've been through it. And you've been involved in it. Uh, so this is an unfair question. But what are some of the your favorite displays and favorite exhibits in the museum? Well, that's a hard question. Uh, but... There are uh, certain items that I think are you know, unique, and one is the poem that was written at 2 in the morning in the 1860s at the Willard Hotel by Julia Howe Ward that we now call the Battle Hymn of the Republic. Hmm. Uh, and we have that, that one piece of paper, quite interesting. We have one of Thomas Jefferson's letters that he wrote uh, after he left office shortly after, and basically it was a a warning uh, to the to the, uh, the reader 
that uh, beware of the federal government and the the, uh, the rights of conscience that people have, which obviously have been Supreme Court battles based upon that terminology. And we have that original letter here also. We have some of the oldest Jewish manuscripts in the world from various parts of the world for different reasons, uh, but one that uh, survived the uh, expulsion of the Jews from England in uh 1223. Uh, this manuscript is dated 1189, and it's the only only uh, dated manuscript that survived that time period. Uh, it's the Torah. So we have uh, depends on where you're from, where you're coming from. We have uh, one of a kind, very limited views of other documents. Very few survived for different reasons, and they involve uh, the Coptic tradition, Ethiopic, uh, Orthodox, of course, Protestant. And, and Jewish faiths, and so what we try to do is we're not a we're not a, a museum of big collections. We only have twenty eight hundred items in our collection, and uh, what's on exhibit is uh, uh, thirty one hundred items, but over well over uh, three fourths of those are coming from lenders throughout the world. And the Israel Antiquity Authority alone has 1,500 items here that date back to uh, the Canaanite period up to First Temple, Second Temple. And so for me, although those are not items, they'll, they'll be here for a year, uh, they're not uh, permanent, to say the least. But for me, those are some of the most fascinating items we have in the museum. So the uh, good question, uh, broad answer, only because... There is just so, so much to look at. And because we are not a big collection museum, every item we put in there for a real specific purpose. So uh, unlike some that just you know put out the thousand arrowheads or whatever they have, uh, we don't do that. So uh, everyone is worth the read. And that's the reason it takes so long to go through this through this museum. Well, Carrie, uh, Carrie Summers, president of Museum of the Bible, thank you so much for giving us a little bit of time on a very, very busy day. <laughs> You're more than more than welcome, and certainly want to invite all your listeners to come in and really enjoy uh, an experience that uh, has not existed in the world, and uh, and be part of history, and come in and uh, be one of the first ones to visit us. My next guest from the Museum of the Bible is Dr. Gordon Campbell, the consultant historian with the Museum of the Bible. He also has some other interesting background. I'll read a bit of it here. He serves as a fellow in Renaissance studies, and I say Renaissance because that's the proper British way to say it. And <laughs> Absolutely right. That's right. And university public order at the University of, is it Leicester? No, Lester. Lester, there we go. He's also a specialist in the Renaissance, the 17th century, John Milton, biblical studies, historical theology, the King James Bible, and it goes on and on. But as I said, he's the consultant historian with the Museum of the Bible, and thank you for talking with us today, Dr. Campbell. I'm pleased to be talking to you. The museum is very close to my heart. I've been involved with it uh, since 2010, uh, and I put myself on an airplane eight or ten times a year and, and come uh, to Washington and to the design studios elsewhere in the United States. And uh, this time I'm here for more than my usual two or three days. I'm here for five weeks uh, leading up to the opening. So, Dr. Campbell, you have lots of areas of study. Uh, you know, you're a specialist in a number of areas and, and lots of different places that you can go. Why is it that the Bible is of utmost interest to you? 
Uh, well, I'm, among other things, a book historian. And the Bible um, has, has the longest and most complex history of any book on the planet. And it also has had more impact than any book on the planet, both in the lives of individuals who have been reshaped by it in one way or another, and in the culture in which we move. So ordinarily, when I do book history, it's on you know something uh, from the 17th century to the present. But the Bible offers 2,000 years uh, of history, more if you go back to the Hebrew Bible. Uh, it offers movement from uh, you know a single obscure text in, a, in 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 the Middle East to a, a book that becomes global over the course of the centuries. There's no country that it doesn't touch. Um, that's enough material to uh, to keep keep an enthusiast like me going for a very long time, and, and that's at the heart of my interest in it. Tell us what your involvement has been in the development and the construction of the museum. What have been your responsibilities? Um, well, on the uh, impact floor, um, I've been concerned with the story that we tell about the Bible in America. It's, uh, we're not a, a faith museum, as you know, and we're not a, uh, so we're not a Protestant museum, so we also show Catholic stories and Jewish stories. So in the Bible in America, we don't begin with Jamestown or the Mayflower. Um, we begin with St. Augustine in Florida, because in the 1560s, the first church in America was built there, the first school, the first seminary, um, all of those things were in Florida. Um, that's not a story that is normally told, but it's part of the story of the Bible in America, and, and that's the story we're focusing on. Um, just along on the, on the other side of that exhibit, um, we have a Torah roll um, uh, that is, is, is opened out, um, and it's opened at the um, first chapter of Exodus. Um, we all know that the story of Exodus is important for African Americans because of the theme of um, freedom from bondage, from slavery, but it's also important for Jewish Americans, hence the Feast of, of Passover. So it's a slightly unorthodox history of the Bible, um, history indeed of the Bible in America, because it resists the usual narratives and it, it embraces um, a, a wider range of, of phenomenon in, in the history of America than most others do. What will be your ongoing responsibilities after the museum opens, which actually is tomorrow, Saturday? It is. Um, and, uh, well, the first thing I'm going to do is I'm going to take off my badge and wander around like a tourist. Like I could pretend to be an English tourist. And I'm going to watch what people are looking at, um, what they're not looking at, and I'm going to eavesdrop shamelessly to hear what they're saying. Um, uh, that's a good start on, on what, will, what, what will be my continuing responsibility, which is to um, ensure the process of change. Change. Um, a, a museum, you know, opening day is not the end of a museum, it's the beginning of a museum. Um, so we'll be interested in reactions from the faith communities, um, from, uh, from secular museum visitors who are a very important part of our constituency, and we'll be asking ourselves what interests them, what doesn't interest them. So we, we have, for example, on the impact floor, various topics, the Bible and everyday language, the Bible and fashion, uh, the Bible and film. Uh, you know, we, when, if one of those doesn't work, um, what can we put in in its place? 
So I'll be responsible for part of a team that is responsible for reviewing what we've done and and innovating um, in in what we haven't done in the hope of attracting return visitors. Because if a museum stays still, then people visit it once. Um, If it's constantly offering new things, then you can get repeat visitors, and that's what we're after. That is fantastic. That is such a great idea. So uh, when our listeners are there visiting, they will look for an Englishman who says Renaissance instead of Renaissance, and they'll know who that is, Dr. Gordon Campbell. Well, especially if they look out for a beard. Well, that's another sign. So, Dr. Campbell, thank you so much for taking time, and uh, I'm looking forward to, to coming to the museum, and I know our listeners are as well. Okay, we look forward to welcome you and your listeners to the museum. Thanks for listening today to this special program, this special encounter broadcast about the Museum of the Bible. If you want more information about it, you could go to museumofthebible.org. That's museumofthebible.org. This is Evan Fowler for Bot Radio Network. Thanks for listening.